The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jason Kelly, uh, who's the author of a book called The Neatest Little Guide to Stock Market Investing. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks, Jordan. Good to be here. Let's just start a little bit with your background and uh, what led you to uh, write this book. You bet. I used to be a tech writer at the IBM Silicon Valley Laboratory in California, and I, I learned how to take complex material and present it in a simple way in that job. And I realized, after helping uh, friends and family with their retirement accounts, that that type of skill was really needed with financial management. And so I began studying that uh, while I was still working as a tech writer at IBM. And I ended up combining both sets of knowledge, how to write about technical topics and then how to present financial information to people. And that's what kicked off this book series a little over 10 years ago now. And uh, it's, it's been going really well. I, I think one thing that, that the books do and that I think we need more of in this country is a demystification of the, the financial process, That just to show people that it's really not all that hard and that a lot of the information out there from brokers and, and advisors and, and just companies in the business is intended for them to make money off of you trying to manage your money. And if, if people can just get the basics of, of turning $1 into $2 in the financial markets down, they can save a lot of money and, and really take control of their, their financial future on their own. And that's what my book strives to do, and the, the leader of the bunch is the stock market book. You talked about demystification. What are some of the common myths that people have about investing in the stock market that uh, you debunk in this book? Um, that you have to do something every day, that, that today's headline really matters, that you have to be at the cutting edge of everything going on all the time, and that if you're 10 seconds behind the guy next to you, you're going to miss out. I mean, really, if, if you look at everything that's happened, if you stacked up every issue of the Wall Street Journal going back 30 years and you sifted through there for what the best thing was you could have done, I guarantee you it wasn't day trading, it wasn't, it wasn't buying a bunch of bonds at the right moment or, or gaming the Federal Reserve's interest rate decisions. best thing you could have done about 30 years ago was put all your money into Microsoft and then not look until about mm, 10 years ago. <laughs> That's about it. I mean, two big decisions in 30 years, you'd be ahead of everybody talking about this stuff. And so what I try to show people is what parts of their skill set that they already have, the things they've learned in life, which is a lot for a lot of people. If, if, you know, if somebody has a business of their own, they know how to stretch a dollar as far as they can. They already have the concept of value investing down pat. You know, how much is this going to earn? What's the least amount of money I can pay to get that stream of profit? That's what stock investing is all about. And I, I try to show that to people, how to understand when a company is cheap, how to understand why we think it's cheap. I mean, if it's, if it's trading at a low price, but it has no future, well, that's not cheap. If it's trading at a high price, but it has a brilliant future you know, without the hype, then that might be cheap. And I try to show people that, how things they're familiar with, um, 
you know, coupon clipping, uh, saving money, dickering with the car dealer, all those kind of skills we pick up in the normal course of, of living in capitalist society are applicable in the stock market. We don't need a lot of second opinions to understand the kinds of things we want to own to get to the place we want to get to using the stock market. You've got a whole chapter on understanding the masters of stock investing. And let's just briefly go through some of them and some of the things that people should be uh, picking up from some of the masters. You start with Benjamin Graham, the famous uh, Graham and Dodd intelligent investor. What are some of the things the average person can pick up from what Ben, ben Graham uh, wrote and talked about? I think probably the, the, the best point to understand is a margin of safety. Um, the beauty of, of that concept from the intelligent investor is that even though we try our best to value a company, to understand what its business is worth today, what it'll be worth in a year, and so on, we, we all do our best at that if you're investing responsibly. But sometimes we're wrong. I mean, all of us are. I certainly have been, and even some of the most famous gurus that we see on TV and here on, on radio end up being wrong from time to time. So the odds are good, I would say, assured that every person investing in stocks will be wrong at some point. So this concept of a margin of safety means that, that you shouldn't invest on the razor's edge, that, that, that you know, if, if, this, if everything goes perfectly right, then this company should achieve X number of sales in the next two years. You don't want everything to need to go perfectly right in order for you to succeed because things rarely do go perfectly right. So what we get out of, out of the intelligent investor is make sure that if things go basically right, you're going to be okay with this investment. And better yet, even if things slip into the mud, you're probably going to be okay because you're paying a low enough price that there's a lot of margin there for things to go wrong and still let it work out as an investment. I love that concept for the stock market and really everything else in, in life. You know, I mean, it, to put it in everyday terms, if you know it takes you an hour to get from your home to work, if you hit all the green stoplights, you hit all green signal lights, and there's no traffic, you're probably not going to leave exactly one hour early. To be safe, you probably leave an hour and 15 minutes, maybe an hour and 20 minutes before you're supposed to be there, just in case you don't catch all the green lights and just in case there's an accident. That's really what this margin of safety concept is for the stock market, and, and I think it's a brilliant idea to keep in mind. What would be an example of a company today uh, that uh, Ben Graham might like that would have a big margin of safety around it that you might want to invest in, just to get the concept across in, in uh, you know, real, real terms today? Okay. Um, it's a little bit harder today than it might have been, say, a year ago. <laughs> when uh, the margins were a lot higher just because stocks were so much cheaper. But if, I think if Ben Graham was looking at the market today, he would probably look among mostly large caps. So to keep it in terms of things people are familiar with, I've really liked what McDonald's has been doing. And McDonald's is not exactly a cheap stock, so this is a nice example to look at. McDonald's, of course, is a great company. Everybody knows about it. But what makes it a great stock is that it, it pays a dividend on top of having pretty good capital appreciation potential. What that means is most people, when they think of stocks, they think of buying it for 50 bucks and selling it later for 80 or or $100. That's the capital appreciation part. But another very important part of stocks is the dividend they pay, and that's quarterly that the stock, the, the company will share a portion of its profits with its shareholders. So you'll get a check or usually these days a direct deposit into your account 
of a certain percentage of the company's profits. Well, McDonald's does both. It pays out that dividend quarterly, and it also has a, a nicely rising stock price. And it didn't even do badly during the, the great meltdown a couple of years ago, you know, a year and a half ago or so. So I think Ben Graham, looking at the market today, um, looking at, at the risks that we still face, I think he would be attracted to large, strong companies that we can be fairly confident are going to survive whatever comes along. And I think among those, he would probably circle McDonald's on his short list of stocks that are looking pretty reasonably priced if things go basically right. Then the next one you have is uh, Philip Fisher, uh, who wrote the book Common Stocks and Uncommon Profits. What are some of the things the average person can take from what Fisher uh, talked about? The thing I like about Fisher is that he put more of an emphasis on growth. Um, the Graham and Dodd emphasized value, you know, paying as little as you can for a company. But the other part of that is that you have to be getting something bright in the future or else you shouldn't buy it at all. And Fisher was very good at that. He, he really pointed out that, that the only thing worth much of anything with a company is how much it's going to grow in the future. Even if you love its products or its management, the only reason you should love its products or management is that they're going to do well in the future. So I like the way Fisher looks at um, the importance of growth and then some of the unconventional ways to find out about it. For example, he recommends uh, your, your circle of competence, looking at the things you know about. And I touched on this earlier with um, the, the skills we pick up in daily life, you know, being able to pick out a bargain in the grocery store and stuff. Well, Fisher takes that into the area of evaluating a company. And he says, for example, if you, if you work in the real estate business, let's say you're a broker, you probably have a better idea for the health of the housing market than somebody who's not in that business at all. The rest of us, say, who are not in that business directly, we read about it and we hear about it, but we're not in it day to day. So to Fisher, if, if you are involved in, in the real estate business, it makes sense for you to look at real estate-related stocks because you're going to know which names are doing well, which lenders keep coming up again and again across your desk, which, which uh, real estate firms themselves are moving a lot, of, a lot of homes in your area. Those are great little bits of, of insider information, not illegal type, but just you know, news of the business that you know that others don't necessarily know. And Fisher was a proponent of using your circle of competence, the things you know and the people you know, to be able to give yourself an edge in evaluating the right types of stocks. I think that idea is very useful. So what would be an example of a growth-oriented company that Fisher might like today? Hmm. I, think, I think Fisher would probably look in the medical area. Just because of everything that's gone on with uh, the legislation and the supposed health care reform, um, a lot of the, the political talk about health care reform was, was, you know, whether it's good for Democrats or Republicans, whether it's really going to solve anything. Well, the stock market voted very clearly that the health care reform is going to be good for medical companies, especially insurance companies. And I think Fisher would pick up on that clearly and say, you know what, with a government mandate that everybody buy health insurance and no built-in cost controls on that, that looks like growth heaven for the insurance industry. And I believe Fisher would look among insurance providers to try to, to, try to come up with one that's going to do very well in the new regulatory environment and get, get millions of new customers that are going to come on cheap and then get expensive later without government oversight. And I, going out on a limb a little bit here, Jordan, but I would say Fisher would gravitate towards something like WellPoint.
Okay, great. The next uh, master you have is Warren Buffett, who's well-known today. Uh, again, people kind of hear his homespun things, but what are some of the key points to take away from Buffett's style? The, the nice thing about Buffett is he is a, a living uh, implementation of the two masters we just talked about, Graham and Fisher. And Buffett himself said he's, he's mostly Graham and then, at a, to a lesser extent, Fisher. And there, there are many books written about Buffett, but the main takeaway from him is that he always looks at a margin of safety. He always makes sure he's buying a company for much less than it's going to be worth in the future. The beauty of, well, I should say the mastery of Buffett is that he does so in such a flexible way that he will buy something that is dirt cheap, that looks like it has nothing to do with growth at all. It's just a very, very cheap, almost dying company that only he could see the future for. That's considered a value investment approach. But he also will take the flip side of that and pay what seems to be a high price for a company in order to catch its future growth. I guess the classic examples of that is when he's bought automotive stocks very cheap. I mean, Chrysler, when it was two bucks a share and almost gone, and everybody else was just bailing out left and right, and Buffett waded in and bought a ton of it, and you know, later it went up above 80 bucks a share. And then you look at something like Coca-Cola, which was never cheap, and Buffett waited years and years and years to buy that stock. And finally, when he did, everybody said, Coke, come on, that's hardly a new idea, and it's certainly not cheap, which it wasn't if you looked in the past. But what Buffett was doing was looking ahead and saying, yes, it's expensive now, but it's going to get more expensive because business is improving. And he was right. So he was, it's seemingly late on Coke, but that ended up paying off. And he was seemingly crazy on Chrysler, and that ended up paying off. And I suppose, I mean, we've got to be careful here a little bit, Jordan, because to talk about investing like Warren Buffett is like saying, you know, how to, how to play basketball like Michael Jordan or, or, or golf like Tiger Woods. You know, it's, it's easy to talk about. It's a lot harder to do. So do keep that in mind. This is how Buffett does it. He's very good at it. We should understand the points of it, but it's probably a little too much to expect to do as well as he does right up front. Do you, would you just buy the stocks? I mean, when he does buy stocks, ultimately it does come out, even though you'd be a bit late. Is that still a good thing people do? I mean, they, they do. Yeah, they I hear about so. it, they just follow right along. I think so. And I think people do that with, with several different gurus. It might be Warren Buffett uh, and some other maybe mutual fund managers that they like. And what a lot of investors I know do is watch what those masters are buying and then keep them on a watch list at somewhere like Yahoo Finance or, or MSN Money, somewhere like that, and just wait for them to go down, buy a dip of something that they know these masters are holding. And you can do pretty well that way. Very good. We're about to go to a break. Before we do that, I just want uh, people to know uh, about the book. And Is there a website they can find out more about it and what you sure. offer your website? Yeah, my website's just my name, jasonkelly.com. And the book is everywhere books are sold. Probably the best way to read about it quickly is just type in my name or the neatest little guide to stock market investing at amazon.com. And what else do you have at your website? I have articles by me. We're changing the site right now, but I generally have an article every day. And I have information about the books in my newsletter. And um, I try to keep the front page pretty current with what's going on in the news today. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jason Kelly, uh, whose book is called The Neatest Little Guide to Stock Market Investing. And we'll be back after this.
whether the market's up or down. Or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jason Kelly, who's the author of a book called The Neatest Little Guide to Stock Market Investing. Uh, this is the, the, I guess it's the fourth edition. Is that right, Jason? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it kind of covers everything about investing. We were talking about some of the masters of investing. We've covered Warren Buffett and Fisher and so on, but we'd like to talk next about Peter Lynch, who probably is well familiar to a lot of people, uh, who ran the Fidelity Magellan Fund, uh, very successful for many years. What are some things the average person can pick up from Peter Lynch's style? You know, Peter Lynch is, is probably the best at taking what his earlier masters had done and bringing it down to a common everyday level. The things we talked about earlier as far as finding bargains and, and working within your circle of competence or knowledge is something that Peter Lynch has always emphasized. And in, in his books, he's, he's mentioned that it always seemed odd to him that somebody in the insurance business would invest in technology stocks and somebody working at, say, Seagate would invest in medical stocks. He always found it weird that people had this urge to, to move beyond their own industry, the one they know better than any other, in, in search of profits. And he said if people would just stick close to their knitting, close to what they know, they'd probably do an awful lot better. And, and this is kind of touching on that theme that we mentioned at the beginning of the show, that 
investing is not necessarily all that hard. It seems like it when you read the news, and especially recently with the derivatives and such, it seems like, my gosh, how can I ever get my arms around this? But what Peter Lynch and other common sense masters point out is that you have an awful lot in you right now that can be turned into profit on Wall Street. You, you know which companies are good and which are bad. So beyond that idea of circle of competence, the, the companies you'll know from your industry, he also points out just through consumer habits, we can find a lot of really good tips. I think my favorite example of that recently is, is Crocs, the maker of those foam-type sandals that are so mm-hmm. popular. Well, yeah. a few years ago, th- those started showing up everywhere. I mean, even far away as Japan, people were wearing these things at the beach, and it, they went from nowhere to suddenly everywhere, and people loved them. And the stock just soared. And somebody who had seen these showing up everywhere could have picked up on that. Now, to illustrate the downside of stock investing, take a look at a Crocs chart. If you ever have a chance, the symbol is C-R-O-X. And you'll see that it it went from zero, roughly zero, up to $70 a share, and then down below $1 a share in the big meltdown. So there is always that downside, but that first upside was easily findable by just paying attention to what people were wearing. And I think the downside... With some some research into the market, which everybody should do anyway if they're buying stocks, would have revealed that Crocs had come up against a lot of imitators and a lot of companies making similar foam shoes in China and just dumping them on the market would not have been good for the company. So if you study Lynch, you can pick up on this. If you just pay attention to what people are wearing, what people are buying, um, he even gives an example of just... Uh, tasting burritos and finding companies that made the best burritos or noticing which kind of pantyhose his wife was wearing in order to find the, the legs brand and pick up on a good stock idea. If we start looking at our daily habits in a different light and trying to find companies that are, that are benefiting from trends, we can get pretty far in putting together a list of good stock investment ideas. And another person you talk about is kind of the opposite of Peter Lynch, is more technically based instead of fundamentals, is uh, William O'Neill who runs the uh, Investor's Business Daily newspaper, yeah. has what's called the CanSlim system. Explain briefly how that works. It, the Most people would find it pretty overwhelming to follow something like that, but you're saying it's not that hard. Yeah, um, I, I do think, though, you're right, that among the masters, that, that type of investing is a little bit harder. Um, without going through the specifics of CanSlim, the, the basic takeaway from O'Neill is that you've got to have growth. It's just growth, growth, growth. That's it. That's the whole story. And you don't give companies much chance to relax. If you, you don't just buy and forget if you're following William O'Neill's method. Investor's Business Daily has a number of smart stock select rankings where it looks at uh, stocks ranking on earnings per share, uh, valuation and such, and, and it gives a formula that, that the newspaper uses to identify what look to be hot hands. And O'Neill advocates keeping your portfolio within those stocks and really being very unforgiving with them. He even recommends setting an 8% trailing stop. So if you, and, and then you, you can put more money in on the way up, but he, he doesn't advocate averaging down at all. So if you bought, just to use some round numbers, if you bought McDonald's at $60 a share, well, if that thing goes down 8%, you're out. No questions asked. You don't think about, well, this is just a hiccup in the market. You're just out. And then you... You go with the next companies that are meeting that, that really strict screen on, on earnings beats and uh, rapid growth rates. I include O'Neill in the book because I think it's important to understand that side of investing. And it's important to see 
just how critical growth rates are to this whole business. And while I, I believe most individuals should emphasize value investing because it's what we do naturally in the course of our life, we do have to have some understanding of growth and what makes a stock hot. Because if, if a stock we're looking at lacks all components of that, then it's not going to do very well for us. I mean, for example, I, I said earlier in the program about the best thing we could have done in the last 30 years was buy Microsoft and just hold on to it until the, uh, until the beginning of the year 2000. And even if you'd held on to it past that, you'd done, you would have done very well. One reason for that is because Microsoft was a monster growth stock in its early years. And we have to understand how growth works. And William O'Neill is very good at showing that. This is what growth means to a stock. These are the numbers you have to watch. These are, this is what those numbers should be doing. So, Jordan, I don't really advocate somebody just following O'Neill 100%, but I think with a portion of the portfolio and with a, a portion of the way they think about stocks, it's really helpful to see what growth means. Now, it, it, following that system, in 2008, when things were falling, you would have been taken out of your entire portfolio as everything was just plummeting. So yes, that, you would. That's part of the system basically saying you're stopping losses from getting worse, and you just would have stayed in cash because things weren't growing, and then you would have gotten back in. Is that basically the idea? Yeah, in, in its ideal form. But, but to, to put a dash of reality on all of this, it always sounds great, you know, put an 8% stop loss on something. Well, what do you do after you stop out? I mean, you buy it, it goes down 8%, you're out, you've lost 8%. And then what? You know, so then you move to another one, you buy it, it goes down 8%, you're out. Well, now you lost 8% again. I mean, just going, stopping out at 8%, for example, we always assume, oh, I got out at 8% as the stock continued going down another 60% or something. Well, what about this scenario, which happens every week? What if you get out when the stock goes down 8.5% just before a 40% run-up? That happens all the time. So stop-loss orders are no magical guarantee that you're going to catch only upside and not get downside. What can happen more often is you get whipsawed and the stock drops down to where you automatically sell and then you miss out on the rebound. So the stories everybody wants to tell at cocktail parties is, yeah, uh, two years ago, just before the market tanked, all of my 8% stop-loss orders kicked in and I didn't buy until a year ago. And <laughs> yeah, right. We all know that it never goes that smoothly. So that's what I mean about understanding the, the basic concepts, but, but don't expect to, to you know, ride everything up 50% and then just get out just before the big plunge with your 8% stop loss order. There's a lot more to it than that. Then your final master is uh, Bill Miller, uh, the famous manager of the Leg Mason Value Trust who beat the S&P 500 for many years in a row, although not as much recently. Right. Uh, what are some of the principles to learn from Bill Miller? I like Bill because... I don't know him well enough to just say Bill, but <laughs> I, I like Bill Miller a lot because he, he is much more flexible in how he defines value. He brings together both of these sides we've been talking about, that something is cheap to Bill Miller only if it, it's got a really bright future. He's not interested in, you know, they paid, they paid $100 for these assets and now it's trading only down at $30 for the assets. He wants to know, well, what's the future cash flow of this? That, that's great if I'm paying a lot less than book value or the, the, the price earnings multiple is cheap. But if there's no catalyst for growth going forward, then that's not a good bargain to me, is what Bill Miller would say. And he's, he's, he's got a lot of pithy sayings that come in handy. Like, for example, if it's in the papers, it's in the stock price. You know, if you're reading it on the cover of some paper, the market already knows. So 
he, he's, he really drives home this idea that you've got to look farther. You've got to research more. You can't do just what everybody else down at the office is doing, reading the same headlines on Yahoo Finance. I mean, come on. If it's showing up on an Internet news feed, it's already in the price of the stock, and you missed any chance to take advantage of that news. So a good way for people to want to participate in his style is just to buy his mutual fund because they're not going to be as fast as that? I suppose so, yeah. And I, I guess they could even try to add a layer of, of value on top of that by, by trying to buy it on dips. For example, I mean, buying it a year ago in March when, when everything was just cratered uh, would have been really nice because then you get his stock picking skill um, and, and a little bit of market timing good fortune in there, and you, you can do really well. You could do better with his picks than he did in a way because you buy them lower than he did by waiting for that dip. So those are some of the, the, tips, the tips from all the different masters. One of the uh, areas in the book you talk about is what you call permanent portfolios and using value averaging as a way to get steady growth. Explain how that works. Sure. I, in, in writing this new edition, I looked at what had worked and what had not worked as well as I would have liked in past editions of the book. And I, I have a, a strategy in the book called Maximum Mid-Cap where people use leverage on the Mid-Cap 400 index in order to outpace the Dow over time. I use the Dow as the benchmark index to beat. And I looked also in there at, at um, dogs of the Dow strategy and, and then came up with one that does better than that, which is maximum mid-cap. And it has done very well, even through a buy-and-hold program that includes the latest meltdown. But I heard from readers and, and, and subscribers that there's just too much volatility, that when when we go through two, two major bubble bursts in the last 10 years, I mean, the dot-com bust and then the, the subprime mortgage bust, they don't want to ride that down. Even if they know that, look, this will come back eventually, it's, it's just too hard on the stomach to go down and then, and then come back up. They'd rather have a system that was taking profits on the way up and, and protecting profits on the way down. And so I looked around a lot to find one that was, it worked, first of all, but it was easy enough to use that people would actually do it. And that, that's one problem with a lot of investment material is it's so arcane that nobody actually implements it. Well, what I found that is I think one of the best approaches is called value averaging. And most people are familiar with dollar cost averaging, or DCA, which just invests a regular dollar amount on a regular time frame. For example, uh, $100 a month or $300 a quarter. And the, the simplicity of that is that when prices are cheap, that regular dollar amount buys more shares, and when prices are expensive, it buys fewer shares, so that you end up with, with more of the cheap shares over time, and, and you can do pretty well over a long period with that. But what it doesn't – so, for example, if you're sending $100 a month and the price is $10, you pick up 10 shares, and if it goes up to $20, you buy only five shares. Well, what value cost averaging asks is, if the price is, is, is really cheap, shouldn't I buy more than $100 worth? Shouldn't I buy maybe two or $300 worth? And if the price is really expensive, shouldn't I buy even less than $100 worth or maybe sell some of this? And the answer is yes, you should do that, and there's a way to automate that. And that's what value cost averaging does. It, it sets a, a constant growth target. In my implementation, it's 3% per quarter which turns into more than 12% per year, which is a very good long-term growth rate. And it, you, I use the small cap index, the S&P or the, the Russell 2000 index of small companies. And the way it works is that at the end of each quarter, if your investment has gained 3%, then you just stand pat because you're growing on target. If you've gained more than 3%, 
then you sell off enough of the portfolio to get down to the 3% growth level and you keep that cash as profit in a, in a core account. If you've made less than 3%, you use cash from that core account to buy your way up to the 3% growth level. And it's, it's something you do just at the end of each quarter, so only four times a year, and you guarantee yourself this 3% quarterly growth rate through good times and bad and it can almost always be funded through that cash account you've created by selling when times were good. I really love that system, and it's, it's just run circles around the market and in the last several years, and I feel very good about most people using that. Psychologically, maybe a little bit hard because you're, uh, when things are down, it's, it's harder to buy more, and when things are up, it's harder to sell, or you're feeling optimistic or pessimistic. Right, and that's what well, I like I about this, this simple formula. Uh, you just say, all right, I'm growing at 3% a quarter. Yeah, things are going great. Everybody's excited, and I made 8% last quarter. Good. Now I'm going to harvest some of those profits and get the, get the holdings back down to that 3% growth level. And then when things are really awful, the end of the world type of headlines are everywhere, at least you have that side cash account that you're using to buy more at those cheap prices so you can feel that, that the, the plan is paying for itself, so to speak. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jason Kelly, whose book is called The Neatest Little Guide to Stock Market Investing. Covered a lot of very interesting things, and we've got more to go in our final segment. We'll be back after this. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. When you were young, did you feel free to daydream? Were you full of questions such as why, how, and what if? Did you allow yourself to be carefree, to dance and sing? Did you create just for fun? Want to feel that way again? Reclaim your natural curiosity and creativity with Dr. Carol Stalka on Stargazing Stories, sparking your creativity. Revitalize your life, work, and relationships. Be more playful, be bold, imagine, explore, and live more creatively every day. Tune in Wednesdays at 11 a.m. in the East, 8 a.m. in the West on 7th Wave Network. 
Are you ready to talk football with the greatest wide receiver player and coach in NFL history? Tune in to Wide Open with Andre Rison. Andre is ready to talk to you and give his thoughts on the sport. There'll be celebrity guests, coaches, players, artists, and more. He'll go beyond the game with a look from the coach's point of view and feature a high school player each week. Tune in to Wide Open with host Andre Rison. Featured Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jason Kelly. Uh, the latest version of his book is called The Neatest Little Guide to Stock Market Investing. Welcome back to the show, Jason. Thank you. And again, tell people about uh, your website and uh, how to find the book and, and what they can find at your website. Sure. My website is jasonkelly.com. You can just Google Jason Kelly. It's right there. And the book, you can type in at amazon.com. It'll come right up. Very good. You have a lot of kind of value-oriented strategies, and one of them is uh, what you call the Dow Dividend Strategies. Uh, why don't you tell us about how you can buy high-yielding stocks in the Dow to get uh, good bargains? Sure. Yeah, this is commonly known as the, the dogs of the Dow strategy, and it's, it's one of the old tried-and-trues. The nice aspect of the Dow is it's only 30 companies. A lot of people don't know that. They, they assume that the Dow is hundreds of companies, like the S&P 500 or something, but it's only 30 stocks. And they're, they're the biggest of the big companies everybody knows, like Coca-Cola and McDonald's and Walmart, um, the, the Microsoft, those type of stocks. And with such big established companies, one of the best ways to know whether the stock is cheap or not is just to look at its historical valuation, you know, the, the range within it, it, it tends to fluctuate. And a great way to see whether it's high or low in that range is look at the dividend yield. And that's really what, what the dogs of the Dow looks at. If, if the dividend yield is high, then, then the stock price is, is going to be pretty low, and that's a good one to pick up. Because then you get, you get good capital appreciation potential. The stock price is low, so it will probably go higher. And you also get a nice steady stream of cash in the form of the dividend while you hold it. So you, you pay a low price to get that high dividend yield, and it comes back and pays off uh, in two ways, like we talked about earlier. And uh, that's just been a, a great strategy for people. You, you, only, you only do any activity once a year, so anybody can fit that into their schedule. And you're investing in some of the largest, best-established companies on earth, which, which almost always are okay. We can't say always, given the events of the last couple of years, but generally they do okay, as opposed to, say, buying a small company stock where, where even the, the slightest fluctuation can really hurt the business prospects. So Something like General Motors was in there, and they had a very high yield before they went under, so it doesn't right. always work, right? Right. It's not foolproof, and, and nothing is, but it's, it's pretty darn good, and I just feel a lot better telling people to, to pick and choose among 30 really top, strong stocks than to, to go in the general market and fish among all the penny stocks and everything else that can blow up in your face, you know? Now, you have a whole section here on technical analysis as well. Uh, on the various technical indicators, the MACD and the stochastics and all that. Is this something that most people could get their minds around, or is it just too complicated? It's, it's a little tricky. I, I wanted to provide it in this edition of the book just because it, was, it felt like there was one thing missing. I, I try to provide a general overview of stock market investing, 
And in the past, I completely skipped technical analysis because it did seem just beyond the scope of a beginner's book. But there are some basic ideas with charting that can be very helpful just to give somebody an idea whether they're, they're buying something that's, that's been rising a long time or falling a long time or just a blip in a, an uptrend and stuff. And so I looked among the many technical measures and talked to, to technicians, people that do this every day, and tried to find two, two, two aspects of each measurement. First of all, that it had a pretty good track record of indicating whether something was going up or down. And second of all, that it was easy enough to understand that people would actually use it and come back to that theme again and again. Nothing too esoteric in, in anything I write about. And the, the three measurements I came up with in the book are pretty good. And especially when they're used together, it's first of all, the, the first one, just a, a simple moving average of, of seeing how the stock is done uh, over time. Is it generally rising or generally falling? And the best way to understand that is looking right at the chart. Is it rising upward or falling downward? It sounds simple, and it is, but you'd be surprised at how many people buy something without knowing if it's heading higher or heading lower. And then the other ones. Now look at uh, MACD is a little complicated to talk about without visuals, so it's, it's easier to understand in a book. But that just gives us an idea, too, of, of, of if, it, if the trends are heading upward or heading downward by looking at some crossover lines. And um, so, I, you know, when people look at these measurements in conjunction with some of the other strategies we've talked about, I believe they can get a little bit of an edge to understand if, for example, now is a good time to be starting that maximum mid-cap program or is now is generally a bad time. I just, just try to give them a little, uh, a few extra tools in the box there to help them get a handle on the direction of their portfolio. That's good. Now you also have a whole section on the Internet and uh, how people should use this. There's so much on the Internet. How can you know what's reliable and what isn't as far as picking stocks? Right. I, I went through um, the sites that have been helpful to me and I give a brief description of each one in there and, and what its strengths and, and weaknesses are. Mostly strengths. If something was not very good, I just didn't include it. So I try to emphasize free or cheap resources that people can use because most, most people reading my books are not managing money professionally. They're just doing it for themselves so they don't have to, to worry so much about, about paying fees. And so I try to show resources in the book that are, that are free or cheap that can provide, for example, quick overviews of headlines, um, maybe a, a site that, that shows good sentiment reading so you can see whether most of the people investing are bullish or bearish at the moment and what that will mean to the stock market. And I, what I wanted to do with that section of the book is, is keep people from just wandering around the Internet and, and Googling stocks or, or you know, price-earnings ratios and such and just being inundated with a million hits. And I tried to show the, the best of the best, in my opinion. And I think if somebody just went to the sites I include in the book, just a, a quick pick list of 10 or 15 sites, they'd have all the information they need to run a good portfolio. So just what would be a few quick sites that you would recommend people take a look at? I like, well, I mean, the simplest one, I think, for managing a portfolio is just Yahoo Finance. And it's not exactly revolutionary, but, but I go a little deeper than just the top page of it. For example, looking at stock screeners. Yahoo Finance is a pretty good stock screener. And if you want to pay a little more, Morningstar.com has a stock screener that, that, that allows you to put in parameters like, like uh, highest rated by their analysts. And I think for beginners, it's nice to see what a team of professional analysts thinks about an industry and certain stocks within that industry. So, for example, a person could say, I'm looking for companies that are trading at a, at a price-to-sales ratio below 3 
price-to-earnings ratio below 15 that are growing at the top 5% of their industry and that are rated five stars by Morningstar analysts. And then it'll kick back a, a reasonable list of stocks from that. That's really nice. And I think being able to include the analyst rating in there just gives the beginner some, some confidence that, okay, I'm not the only one that thinks this stock is worthwhile. So that's one example of, of a website and maybe a part of a website people wouldn't find with a Google search that, that I think will give people an edge. As we come to a close, why don't you just kind of summarize briefly how it is possible for the average person to invest in stocks without being too intimidated by the whole process? Well, step one is to make sure that no matter how much you're investing, you can't blow up your entire financial life if things go wrong. That's just basic asset allocation. Stocks are a risky business. People need to know that. They need to know that before they start listening to cocktail party stories of things going to the moon because they don't always go to the moon. So beyond that, it's good to look at what types of businesses make good companies and because we can understand businesses more than we can understand financial products and, and even financial speak. We understand that a company that sells a lot generally makes a lot of profit and that something making a lot of profit should be a good business. So I, I think it's good for people to analyze businesses and then at the end of that, of the end of finding good businesses, to look at which of those good businesses have a reasonable stock price. That's really the process. Find good businesses, and of those, find which ones are trading at a good value right now, and then buy them at that good value price, and then manage the stock. So if it rises like crazy, you have the tools at hand to know how to lock in that profit, how to you know, set a trailing stop so that you can keep riding it higher until it reverses direction. And I think handled with some basic research tips with some good free resources, the typical investor at his or her kitchen table or home office can do very well managing their own portfolio of stocks. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour in the Money Answer Show has been Jason Kelly. Uh, his new book, uh, new version of his book is called The Neatest Little Guide to Stock Market Investing. His website is jasonkelly.com. Thanks so much for being on the Money Answer Show, Jason. My pleasure, Jordan. And we'll be back again with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next.